everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 26th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal is always to be worth your time. Uh, this week we'll do it at the top here with the Chiefs point that's becoming <laughs> clearer and clearer to me all the time. A uh, great bunch of questions hitting on sports memories growing up, the Royals and Alex Gordon and the Chiefs and how to keep from being an obnoxious fan. We're, we're going to talk with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, who covers the Patriots as closely as anyone, about a really interesting game at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. Uh, ginormous thanks to you for listening. The feedback, guys, has been great, particularly now that we're out from behind the paywall. Uh, please keep it coming. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating and review to help us get the word out. We work hard to present information and perspectives you can't get in other places. Right now, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass. It's a dollar a month for three months, which covers the Chiefs season. That gives you all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content than you can find anywhere else. Uh, the link is in the show notes, or just reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email, and I'll send it along. Okay, uh, I want to start out with the Chiefs. Look, we know the NFL is a league of matchups and parody. And for decades, the Chiefs have played that game. Uh, we talk about overwhelming the opponent with speed and all the different things Mahomes can do at the line of scrimmage and then when a play breaks down. We talk about how the Chiefs can survive with a beat-up secondary, uh, the potential problems they could have against the run. We talk about Tyron Matthews solving problems in the back with his brain, Chris Jones creating problems up front with his rush. You know, we talk about Deshaun Watson's ability in week one or Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram in week two. Lamar Jackson in week three, uh, now Cam Newton in week four. And look, I'm not saying that all that stuff, any of that stuff is a waste of time. Like we should, we, we should do it. Football's awesome. It's amazing. Uh, there are a thousand riddles to be answered in every matchup. And I am fully expecting the Patriots to test the Chiefs run defense in ways it has not yet been tested. But I also think that in some ways, the Chiefs have sort of graduated from that kind of analysis. Like this team is different. Uh, their quarterback, like, honest to goodness, might end up as the best to ever do it. I mean, he, he has just no obvious discernible weakness to exploit. He is surrounded by an ungodly level of skill position talent. The whole operation is supported by a, a brilliant and stable coaching staff, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, the rest of them. I wrote a column about this that's up on the website now. Obviously, I hope you read it. But, um, you know, we're also working on 12 straight games of the defense being, like, occasionally dominant, but the rest of the time at least being effective. The 2018 Chiefs are long gone by now. Um, the defense is now regularly helping win games. I looked up some numbers. If we start the clock at week 11 last year, which was, that was the Chargers game that the Chiefs won in Mexico City when Daniel Sorensen smothered that last play, uh, the Chiefs are giving up 17 points per game. That's over 12 games. And that includes the playoffs, guys. This is 17 points per game they're giving up. And, and more to the point, they've given up 21 or fewer in each of those games with two exceptions. One was the AFC Championship game last year against the Titans, uh, who scored a late touchdown to get to 24, and that was after the outcome was already sealed. And then the other time that a team got over 21 was the divisional playoff game against the Texans. And you remember the Texans scored one touchdown on a blocked punt in that game and another on a six-yard drive after Tyreek Hill, you know, muffed that punt. So, you know, I know that 51-31 score against the Titans looks like a shootout, but, you know, even including that six-yard drive, the Chiefs defense gave up two points per possession that day. 
this is all really encouraging stuff, obviously, um, with an offense like the Chiefs have. But, you know, they've now developed this thing that the greatest teams and the greatest athletes find where they, you know, the, they meet the biggest moments with their best play. You know, the moments rise, they get bigger. And, you know, maybe that speeds up the opponent. And, you know, Lord knows for years it sped up whoever was wearing the Chiefs uniform at the time. But now it brings out their best. And, you know, the point I'm making here is that the Chiefs are showing themselves to be sort of matchup proof. Like if, if they play their best, then it doesn't matter what the other side has because the outcome is secure. Um, and if that's really what it is, and we'll know more after Sunday and then even more after that Thursday night game in a few weeks in Buffalo, um, then it's also the proof of what Andy Reid and others have been saying about how they didn't peak last year. Um, look, the, the 2019 Chiefs caught some lucky breaks. Um, you know it and I know it. You know, Mahomes' kneecap stayed just close enough to his knee. You know, that loss in Nashville gave them Terrell Suggs on the waiver wire and the Dolphins' win in Foxborough gave the Chiefs a first-round bye. And as it turned out, home field advantage throughout. You know, the 49ers abandoned an effective run game. Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew Emmanuel Sanders. Now, look, I'm, I'm a big believer that good teams often create their good luck, same way that bad teams often create their bad luck. But, you know, what I'm saying here is that when, when Reed and others in the organization, when they talk about how they won a Super Bowl without peaking last year, they're telling you a few things. They're telling you why they were so intent on keeping this group together. And they're telling you that these first three weeks are exactly what they had in mind. Now, you know, three weeks is a blink, um, you know, especially the first three weeks of a season. There are a million things that could go wrong for the Chiefs. And a lot of it is out of their control, um, injuries and others. But, you know, the point is that normal good teams are often subject to the whims of the matchup. You know, if the other team has a fast safety or, you know, a game wrecking edge rusher, uh, you know, a mobile quarterback, whatever, every team has a weakness that can be exploited. And, you know, again, we're only three weeks into this season, but what we've seen so far is that the Chiefs are above that normal analysis. If they play the way they can play, then it doesn't matter what the other side has. And there are actual grandparents in Kansas City who've never seen this kind of thing from the Chiefs. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope we don't lose track of that. Okay, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, um, you know, this podcast is now free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. Uh, we have the most journalists working the beat. And we're the only outlet that's been covering the team in person on the road. Please help support us. Uh, give the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can you can join for $1 uh, per month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Go to the links in the show notes or hit me up and I'll send you, I'll send you the link that you need. Um, okay, a quick break and then we'll be back with some questions. Um, if you'd like to participate in next week's show, which we'll post on Friday after Chiefs Patriots and head to Chiefs Raiders, uh, please call 816 816- Two three four four three six five. Leave your first name, uh, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime. Eight one six two three four four three six five. Okay, quick break, and then we are back with those questions. Sam, Mark from Kansas City here. Love the shout-out you did for your mom. Be curious to hear a story about what's the most fun you ever had with her at a sporting event or what she'd like to do. I uh, Great memories of my mother who would sit down and watch any sport that was on TV and would love it. 
Well, Mark, thanks. Um, that's cool to hear about your mom. Um, you know, mine actually was not a huge sports fan. She had degrees from Kansas and Duke, so she liked college basketball more than anything else. But to tell you the truth, part of what I appreciate about her was knowing, and she she never said this, but you know how it is, you can just tell, but just knowing that she didn't love sports, um, but still spent so much time with me doing it. You know what I mean? I mean, this woman hated summer heat and humidity more than anyone I know hates any particular thing in life. And she'd grab a lawn chair and sit all damn day at the soccer tournament that I used to go to as a kid in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where, you know, the temperature never dipped below like 140 degrees. There was not a shade tree in sight. Um, She'd even be excited if we won um, and had to play more games and stay out there. Look, I I don't want to give you the wrong idea here. When I say that my mom was not a huge sports fan, I mean that literally. Like She, she likes sports enough, um, but through her eyes, like I just think my obsession with sports must have just looked comical to her. She had a lot of different interests. Um, I envied about that about her. Um, she read constantly. She had this way of knowing exactly like what book to recommend to exactly what person at exactly the right moment in their life. She loved to cook. I remember and this was back in the 80s when I don't think many people did this. Um, I remember her making pasta from scratch. She loved music, movies, art, museums, ballet, traveling, the news, dogs, Cheetos, like so many different things. I tell you all this to emphasize this point that, you know, my obsession with sports must have made her uncomfortable. Um, you know, she never said that. Um, obviously, she never said anything like it, but I could just tell she thought sports writing was a weird thing to want to do. You know what I mean? She encouraged me always, but if it was up to her, I'd have been a, a doctor or a teacher or a chef or, you know, if I was going to write, then do it about the arts or something. That perspective from her, I think that's obviously, I think that's, you know, influenced me in a million ways. And, you know, I never really talked about this with her, but um, I think she knew that the way that I approached this weird job came from her in a lot of ways because, you know, I'll do the sports columnist things, right? Like I'll give takes or look at film or spend, you know, 1500 words writing about one specific play. But, you know, the the stuff that I like the most is the stuff about people. And when, you know, when I'm writing about a person, like a human who just so happens to be in sports and that's the stuff my mom liked the most, um, the stuff I knew she'd send me an email or call me about. And, you know, even now, with certain columns, I'll have that thought when I file, like, you know, mom would have liked this one. Um, it feels good. You know, it, it feels like she's still here. And um, that's a really good feeling to have. Okay, um, that went deep. But let's do a question that my mom would have no interest in. Hey, Sam. This is Rob from Hendersonville, Tennessee. wanted to just ask you about Alex Gordon, his, press, his retirement press conference and how basically thanked a lot of people, of course, associated with the Royals. But the one person I thought was someone he missed was uh, Salvador Perez. Um, he kept referencing, of course, uh, uh, Merrifield or actually uh, the Royals from the 2015, which was Holland and Duffy, but not Sal. Um, was curious on what your take is on that. And he'll say, I welcome uh, any uh, information you want to pass along. Thanks. Well, um, I didn't notice that, first of all, but uh, assuming that's true, I don't know that I'd read much into it. Um, You know, Gordon did mention Sal when asked about who would be the franchise's leader from here on out. Uh, He gave Sal a huge hug um, on his jog into the dugout during his last game. I never got the sense that that Gordon and Perez were particularly close, but I know they appreciated each other. I know they respected each other. 
And, you know, look, like just to be honest here, like full disclosure, this is a question that I wasn't going to use because I, I wondered if using it would imply that there was some big divide between those two guys. Um, and there wasn't, you know, at least not that I could see in their what, like, you know, 10 years as teammates. I'm including this question because I, I think it's interesting. It's it's perceptive and it's a chance to emphasize a point that as much as a lot of sports teams and the Royals more than most, um, but as much as a lot of sports teams talk about family and togetherness and, you know, all that, you know, these are still humans with different life experiences, different worldviews. Um, they're in different places in their lives. And, you know, Gordon and Perez, those guys are about as different as people can be. Right. Um, I, I can't think of many athletes more stoic than Gordon. Um, can't think of many athletes more gregarious than Perez. You know, there was never going to be like a Gordo splash. You know what I mean? Like the the showiest thing Alex ever did was like blow bubbles. But they sure made a lot of memories together. You know, um, they want to ring together, which, you know, at least in Travis Kelsey's eyes means they're now married. They had, and, and I shouldn't say in past tense, um, they have a enormous respect and love for each other. Uh, I think you can see that in a lot of ways and, and hear it in the way they talk about each other. And, um, you know, this is something I thought about from time to time, actually, like baseball clubhouses are often divided between, you know, uh, sort of, you know, English speakers and Spanish speakers, right? Like guys born in the United States and, and guys born elsewhere. And, you know, there's not official like divide, right? But there are a lot of times when there's two separate card games going on, if you know what I mean. And, you know, the Royals have typically avoided that. And Perez is a big reason. Um, Eric Hosmer was too when he was here. But, you know, Perez is, you know, he's the most accomplished of the guys from Latin America, obviously. But, you know, he, he blends well with those who grew up here in America. And and that's important. Gordon and Perez, they're not going to go on vacation together. Um, but that doesn't matter. What mattered, you know, they, they respected each other. They worked well together. They, they pulled for each other. You know, the Royals did that a lot at their best. And, and they're trying to get back to it now. Okay, uh, we're going to end on this last question here. And, and I'm not saying this is the template, right? But... Uh, you know, a week after we finished the questions with the one from Phil talking about how it felt good knowing he'd probably die around the time Mahomes' career is over, we are again going to close out the question section with the best of the week. Here it comes. Hi, Sam. My name is Alex. I'm calling from Kansas City. Um, my question is, uh, now that we have Patrick Mahomes, we have the LeBron James, the Michael Jordan, the Larry Bird, you know, you just name any iconic franchise player, and, uh, you know, I'm just 28. I'm about to turn 28 years old, so it's the first time in my life we've ever had uh, that guy, in my lifetime at least, in Kansas City. We've we've got him. Um, so how um, do I not be an asshole um, about it to my friends from around the country? Um, so that way we don't become the, oh, those are just those jerks from Kansas City, kind of like how we felt for a while about Boston fans. Is there any way to avoid it? Because um, I don't know if there is. I really don't. Because they text me like, oh, aren't you nervous about this game? And I, I can honestly say, no, I'm not, because we have Patrick Mahomes. I'm just never worried now. And it's a weird feeling, for sure. Um, so should my level of confidence be that high? Obviously, I want to enjoy the ride. Anything can happen. You know, something terrible can happen. I hope it doesn't any day. And um, you know, he could go to a different city one day or anything like that, but, you know, should I keep continually having a high level of confidence? And, uh, how do I, as a Kansas City sports fan, uh, welcome folks onto our bandwagon and not, uh, so that way we don't turn into the assholes of, of sports fans? Uh, that's really my question. Uh, go Chiefs. We need an NBA team in Kansas City. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I got. 
feels weird hanging up like this. All right, bye. Alex, uh, this is me standing up and applauding. Um, you know, well done, sir. Um, you're not gonna like my answer here, by the way, uh, but you know, if the next 10 or so years of the Chiefs go like the organization hopes, then I am afraid your friends are gonna think you're an asshole no matter what. You know, I mean, you can do what you can, right? Like you can say the right things, you can tell them you're just grateful, you can, you know, constantly bring up, you know, John Elway and Lynn Elliott and Peyton Manning and Matt Castle and Andrew Luck fumbling off a helmet and Marcus Mariota throwing a touchdown to himself off of Daniel Sorensen and, you know, everything else. But in the end, I'm not sure it's going to matter. You know, like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they made it really easy for the rest of us to see the Patriots as villains, right? And the Chiefs aren't going to do that. You know, like I, Andy Reid is probably the league's most liked coach. Patrick Mahomes is a natural and they basically play like the Warriors did before Kevin Durant's heel turn. But, you know, as, as the team's like national popularity grows, there's naturally going to be some blowback from people who want to see someone different. And, you know, maybe I'm just projecting here because um, <laughs> I enjoy few things more than the opportunity to put my best friends on blast. But I'm guessing your buddies are going to start getting sick of you being so happy. Um, that's going to happen really fast if it hasn't already. Okay, guys, thanks for another great week of questions. And, uh, you know, I love all my children equally, but especially thanks to Alex. Uh, quick break, and then we are back to talk about the Chiefs and Patriots. Guys, I know Tom Brady's gone. So was Rob Gronkowski, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, and others. Um, but Chiefs Patriots still does it for me, um, you know, even right after Chiefs Ravens. And I implore you not to be so jaded that you disagree. To be honest, um, you know, I think you can argue that Cam Newton presents some specific challenges that make him more dangerous with this group against the Chiefs than if Tom Brady was still around. Uh, I feel like I'm saying this every week now, but I'm wondering if this is the time a Chiefs opponent commits to the run fully. Uh, the Chiefs defense is 28th in yards per rush against, and the Patriots offense is 7th in yards per rush and, and 1st in DVOA. You know, they can do it with Newton, you know, who went you know, 15 times for 75 yards in the season opener. Um, he leads them with four rushing touchdowns. They can also do it with Sony Michelle, who's, you know, he's at 6.7 yards per rush. They do some really creative and smart things with the blocking up front. Um, you know, Bill Belichick is a master at setting up plays and finding new ways to do it. So, um, look, I know everything about the Chiefs is, is primarily about the way that they play, but I still think that there's some value in, you know, talking about the opponent and breaking down how this thing might work. So anyway, I, I talked about all this and more with my friend Tom Curran of the NBC Sports Boston. He has covered the Patriots as closely and for as long as anyone. Um, you know, this game doesn't have like the natural juice it did like even a year ago, but it's still pretty dang interesting. And, um, you know, anyway, here's the conversation with Tom. This is probably a question that people on the outside that, that aren't around or thinking about the Patriots every day might ask you about um, a lot, but how different does that team feel just being around that team? How, how different does it feel with, with the new quarterback? If we're talking strictly non-Xs and Os, it feels, I would say, almost 180 degrees is a long way different. Yeah. But I would say 120 degrees different. And I think the biggest difference is in that you knew what you were getting annually with the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick collaboration. 
and you knew what the dynamic between them was, and you knew what the offense was going to look like, and that's why you could forecast in a particular way how things were going to look. The newness, both for fans and I think for players and for coaches and even for media, has made what could have been a very nostalgic, sentimental, difficult transition that much easier because you've gone from the greatest ever to a really, really, really friggin' good one who's somewhat historic in his own right, and he's mm-hmm. still at the top of his game, and he's authoring a great story. So as a result, it's different because it's new, and it's been a long time since we did new here. That's right. That's right. That's a good way to put it. I mean, uh, I mean you just said, I mean, that it would be hard to think of a quarterback who's more different than than Brady, uh, than, than Cam Newton is. Um, the first three games – I, I haven't watched every snap like I know you have, but I've seen enough to be really fascinated with some of the blocking teams that they're using for him, especially on the you know sort of schemed runs for for Cam. I'm just wondering what what, what has stuck out to you the most uh, through three weeks about how they've used him. Well, first that you know we anticipated that the Patriots were going to evolve their offense to suit his talents. So we knew there was going to be RPO, and that that was in their playbook. And as Christians really definitely pointed out, he said, look, there's stuff that's at page 106 of their playbook that's already in there. That's just going to move up to page 7, 8, or 9. And now mm-hmm. it's on page 1, 2, and 3, the things that they can do with them. It's not that badly different from what they were capable of. But what what is amazing to me, Sam, is that in game one, they put it in his hands 15 times. Now, it could have been five times if he chose to hand it off, but the Miami Dolphins chose to play the back. Cam kept it, ran it, didn't get hauled down by 15 people. So he didn't take a ton of punishment for a 15-carry game. The next game, they said, we're not going to Cam beat us. I don't think that these underachieving wide receivers can. And really because of Cam's accuracy in that game, I mean, he was locked in. They were able to throw for almost 400 yards. Everyone throws for 400 against Seattle, but still. And then in this final game, Cam was not, he was closer to the 2016 and 17 Cam that wasn't that accurate, but the Patriots running game was so good. You asked about the blocking schemes. For them to go from a strict drop back passer to a scheme that's now going to use RPOs and missile motion and jet motion and, um, you know, the screens were already in the playbook, but triple option. There's a lot of stuff you're going to throw at an offensive line and ask them to learn in a year without preseason, and they've done it. That, to me, is what really sets the team apart. And last point I'll make on that is people sometimes look at the Patriots and say, well, they don't really draft well, or they don't draft by the book. I think how they do in these times of unsettledness is because they sometimes draft really smart guys. Like, not football smart, not conventionally smart, but smart for everyday life smart. Intelligent, hardworking guys who stay on their crap. They get it right. How is the, um, like, how are the Chiefs viewed from there? Uh, you know, like, I'm just, for the longest time, uh, you know, the, the Chiefs have just been looking up. Everybody's been looking up at the Patriots. Uh, I, I'm just curious what the view is from there. Now with you know a new quarterback, Chiefs did what they did last year. Obviously, what, what what's the view there? As to well, there's a lot of different ways to answer that, and I know that you know you're leaving it open ended. But you know, as as to them 
being the next heir to the Patriots dynasty. I think that that is viewed as heresy. Yeah. Uh, here, you know, people don't want to see anybody, of course, you know, want to break their records. Like the Saints Dolphins, I think the Patriots fans don't want to see the Chiefs roll three Super Bowls in four seasons together once, much less two times, like they were able to do. Um, but they do look at them and Patrick Mahomes as just wonderfully talented players who do something that nobody's really done to the same extent. I think there's still Andy Reid skepticism because we've watched him for a long time in big games and know that, you know, there is a tendency by him to in-game action, lock up. And, you know, had it not been for Jimmy Garoppolo overthrowing the Super Bowl last year, maybe they don't have that one. So there's a lot to look at with the Chiefs, but nobody looks at that team and says it's not good. Or I hope they don't look at it and say, the 19 or 20 Chiefs wouldn't be able to compete with the 07 or 04 Patriots because those teams are really friggin' good that we're watching right now. But one last thing I'll say is the way they're doing it with Brett Veach and their contracts is different from the Patriots. I and many here in New England say they're not going to be able to do it the way they're trying to draw it, especially with a dropping salary cap. Yeah, yeah. Um Specific to this game, like I, I had this thing that I've probably been thinking and talking about too much over the last year and a half or so, but um, it, it just – I keep thinking the Chiefs can't stop the run. They haven't stopped the run really in, in, in a few years. And I think they're, they're 28th in the league right now in, in yards per rush against. Um, you know, I thought the Ravens were going to do it uh, on Monday. Um, and uh, six of their first seven plays were runs. And they got to the goal line basically, and then they went away from the um, then they went away from the pass and the, or away from the run, and the game got away from them. Um, I'm just wondering, do, do you feel is that a path for the Patriots specifically with this team, Cam, and, and the different things they can do is just to run the ball at the Chiefs, you keep Mahomes on the sideline, and, and you're able to move the ball. Yes, they will. I unless they want to zig because everybody figures that that is what they're going to do when they try to zag, but that doesn't, to me, make a lot of sense. If you come out and start trying to throw the ball on first down repeatedly, you're asking to be in second and ten because you don't have wide receivers who can really win, and they're still without a tight end. Now, if you want to play the screen game or wheel routes or something like that and get the, the running backs involved, well, then you have a better chance. But, you know, what I saw with the Ravens game was once they got them into second and ten, or second and eight or nine, they were teeing off on Lamar Jackson and saying, go ahead and try and beat us with your wideouts. And I don't know. I mean, Cam is definitely going to be a higher IQ quarterback than Lamar at this juncture of his career. But he does not have better guys to throw to on the New England side of the ball than, than Baltimore does. So, yeah, you can try and run it. But if Spagnuolo is smart, he's going to put eight or nine in the box and say, go ahead, beat us mm-hmm. with Edelman and beat us with, Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry, and and then we'll adjust. And anyway, you guys aren't going to score all night on us anyway, and we are on you. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, like on the other side, um, the Patriots, I mean, they, they do different things every week, obviously. But um, for the most part, I think generally speaking, it's fair to say they've uh, wanted to take away Tyreek and, and make, make Kelsey um, you know, be the guy in some ways. Is, is that what you expect on Sunday, or you think they'll – 
come up with something new, some some surprise. No, that's what I expect. You know, put Jawan Williams, who's played well so far, um, and also Kyle Duggar, who's a rookie second rounder. You put those guys on Kelsey and uh, see if they can really limit his damage. I don't think you're going to take it away. Double Tyreek. Um, you're not going to put Stephon Gilmore on him because it's just a speed size mismatch, even though he's the defensive player of the year, reigning. Um, you put Gilmore on Sammy Watkins and put, you know, J.C. Jackson and Devin McCourty on uh, Tyreek Hill. And then, you know, the X factor now is, is Hilaire, who I absolutely thought was, you know, the kind of player the Patriots might want to target, even though they're five deep at running back right now. I think Hilaire is going to be that kind of guy you add to an offense, and he's going to be around for – I mean, he's just a – he's like kind of a Sproles, and I wouldn't want to say he's a better than Sproles because that guy was outstanding, but – you know, I could see him kicking around for eight, ten years being a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, has, has anything uh, on either side of the body, I know we talked about Cam, but um, is, is there something besides Cam, I guess, that will surprise people, uh, will surprise Chiefs fans who are just obsessed with their team and haven't watched many others? Is there, is there something else that's that's new that would be surprising? Yeah, that, that everybody there is used to Kyle Van Noy or Jamie Collins or Dante Hightower or Patrick Chung being staple players or go back even a little bit further, you know, Nikovich's and, and guys like that who made big impacts in the last three years in games when the Chiefs and Patriots were locked up. They're all gone, all of them, this year. So it's Jawan Bentley at the linebacker level, who's a fifth-round pick from 2016-17, and couple of guys from Alabama and Michigan and Uche and Jennings. Um, it's just a Winovich from Michigan and a guy named John Simon, who the Patriots used to be on the Ravens. I know he's there. So it's, it's, I am stunned so far that this defense has not been uh, exposed by anybody. I mean, Russell Wilson threw five touchdown passes on them, um, but that's Russell Wilson performing at the level he is. So I, I'm really interested to see if uh, – Kansas City just goes up and down the field on them because the potential is there. That's interesting, yeah. Okay. Um, do you have a feeling one way or the other? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, – at some point, the Patriots have to correct a little bit from what we've seen in the first three weeks. Um, and there's a little more book out there on Cam. I think that, that they're due for a game in which they don't put up 30 points. The last two weeks they have, and defense helped with that. But I think Kansas City will – probably went fairly easily, you know, 34-21 type type victory. But I said 34-16 last week or two weeks ago with Seattle, wrong. So I haven't got one right yet. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, I thought the Ravens were going to win on Monday. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I did too. I mean, they're just, they are just too explosive. Okay, um, that's the show this week. Um, Thank you for listening. I hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Um, Thanks, as always, to uh, Randy Mason, Savannah Smith, and this week, Derek Donovan, for uh, putting this together. Thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. You know, thanks to Tom for his time and perspective. And uh, and again, the biggest thanks to you for listening. Let's do it again next week. Uh, Have a good weekend. Be kind.